Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Katie. I'm Alan. And we're still married. We sure are. (laughs) This is an episode that we've been super excited to release. We've talked about it on many other episodes. At last, we said it. And not only did we say it, but Cynthia and Susan from the wonderful podcast, At Last She Said It, they said it on Marriage on a Tightrope. So we're very happy to get to their interview. But Katie, you had a few things you wanted to say. Well, I just want to say that I was able to go to a kind of like a meet and greet uh, with Cynthia and Susan from At Last She Said It. They came and spoke at a Faith Again, Live Again uh, meetup. And I had never been to one of those before, but they were the invited speakers. And I really thought it would be fun to meet them after we had already done this interview. So we did that last weekend and it was really fun. I didn't know if I would know anyone going into it, but sure enough, like my good friend, Jana Johnson Spangler was there. My good friend, Chelsea Homer was there as well as some, as some of our listeners um, who had been to our retreats and knew us from other things and just kind of a spectrum of people. So that was really fun to run into them. The usual suspects. I feel like we talk about the same people over and over and in a very good way. It's really fun to run into our friends in this space. It absolutely is. And I can just attest that Susan and Cynthia are just as genuine and lovely in person as they were in this podcast. They are just pure... I mean, joy. And they also are funny. And they also are so smart and intelligent. I'm a little intimidated by them, but in such a good way. So they are great. And you are all those things, too. You need I know that like, it's weird, because I'm saying it to everyone. But I want you to hear it from my voice. You are amazing. Well, thank you for that. And so no, I really mean it. Like, it's really important that right now at this exact moment, that I point out. What are you trying to get from me? And make it very clear. <laughs> My um, back hurts. I just want some shoulder rubs. <laughs> yeah, I know where that goes. Rubs. Well, okay. this is not a sex and intimacy podcast episode. Which we will but be having. But it could be if we no, wanted to. No, 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 oh, no? Okay. no. Okay. Enjoy this great episode with Susan and Cynthia. We are just giddy to have two wonderful fellow podcasters. Uh, to join us today, Cynthia and Susan from At Last. She said it, At Last, you are on Marriage and a Title. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You know, before we want to make this all about your work, um, like like Katie was explaining before we hit record, uh, we really want to amplify just wonderfully positive voices and you two are so much in that space. I personally want to say thank you for all of your work, even outside of the podcast, uh, my time in Waters of Mormon Facebook group. And mm. before that, a Thoughtful Faith uh, Facebook group mm-hmm. was very, it was short-lived, but it was very, <laughs> I'm actually still in it. It was very, very therapeutic to me. And to this day, if I'm watching General Conference, I'm in those chat threads, largely mm. just reading, but you provide such a service. So for those that don't know what the heck I am talking about, rest assured that um, both of these wonderful guests on Marriage and a Tightrope tonight are, are absolutely dedicated to helping those in this space, and they do so in more than just hitting record. So thank you very much for all of your efforts. Thank you. Yeah, that thank was, you. That's very that kind. That was generous. Those are great spaces for the people um, that they serve. 
So it's been and, a privilege to be involved Susan, with them. Susan, did you, do you remember giving your address? You were the best moderator ever for a Sunstone presentation. Of course, I've not forget, you forgotten. You presented at Sunstone. <laughs> you were so I kind. to moderate your, your, um, <laughs> your session and you were so great. You were okay. very kind. Thank okay. you. I'm starting to sweat because I'm so excited. <laughs> I and I away. thought I was fangirling. Alan is a bigger fan. I know. Uh-huh. Well, you 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 create these these like you've imprinted on me. Like when you're in the middle of these uh the faith crisis stage of things and you're like healing and you're breaking down oh, things and you're trying yeah. to rebuild and you're trying to figure it out, people come into your life that that you will never forget. And you don't even I mean totally you know what that's like. And you also hopefully can hear again that you are those people for so many. And that is never forgotten. People will remember that forever. Yeah. Well, thank you. You you also may be those people, actually. So and and you don't know it. So um some of us who have presented at Sunstone were very, very nervous about doing so and needed um a kind a kind guiding hand in doing that. And you're that person. So thank you very much. High fives. all around all around (laughs) all around well we'll just jump right into it um we already read your your bios but we'd love to learn and hear a little bit more about the both of you so um maybe um Susan you can start and maybe just tell us a little bit like we um, said that you are a moderator um with this Facebook group but tell us a little bit about like your church history, your church history, (laughs) (laughs) my church history. Well, I grew up in the church. I've been a member my whole life, um, right in Salt Lake city, right near the university of Utah campus. So I was in an interesting ward growing up because it was all full of university professors and Democrats. And so I didn't really realize that I was having this kind of strange, Mm. you know, Mormon experience as a kid, but it was very much not a typical ward. And I married uh, very young. I was right on track getting married at 18 and then, you know, left Salt Lake and have lived the rest of my adult life in the church outside of Utah and figured out that I really didn't have exactly the same experience that many people growing up in Utah have. And I I bump into that again and again in these spaces where people will say things or I'll, I'll hear their story. And I think, did I even grow up in the same church that you did. Um, it's just Cynthia and I, um, I know Cynthia's nodding her head as I'm speaking here. We encounter this all the time in our conversations with each other, that we just had very different experiences. So I am a lifelong member, but always kind of a misfit. And uh, that trend has continued throughout my adult life, <laughs> still kind of a misfit and uh, happy to be so. But I have been on mm, a very, I mean, what I can identify as a very distinct um, personal faith journey. Uh, for, I would say, eight or nine years. Yeah, nine, I guess. We might be sliding into 10 here pretty soon. Time <laughs> flies. Time flies when you're having fun. But um, yeah, there there just came a time for me when I had to sort of uh, explode the box, so to speak. And um, I've done that now. And I'm still uh, sitting in the pews with um, all the other misfits. I never realized we were all kind of misfits. Uh, until that happened. And now I see it. I, I see the church very differently now uh, mm. from the way that, that I always have. And that's been, that's been good for me. That's allowed me to be able to remain engaged uh, and continue having that as my spiritual home. You know, it's, it's who I am. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure that uh, you understand that too. Culturally, 
you know, my heredity. I'm a Mormon. Right. You can take the member out of the church, but you can't take the church out of the You got that right. You got that right. (laughs) Cynthia, were you always a misfit as well? No, I have like the complete opposite experience of Susan is the church was like the most perfect, perfect, perfect little fit for this for my little girl, you know, my little former little girl self, it just, it ticked all the boxes for me. And it wasn't until ironically, Susan says she's been on this journey eight or nine years. And that's about how long it's been for me as well. I, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I, I have kind of an interesting story in that my mother is an immigrant. She's from Mexico and she was, she found the gospel. Well, the missionaries found her uh, and her family when she was 15. And in many ways, the gospel pulled my mother and her family out of poverty. Um, maybe not her parents, but th- there were seven siblings and um, all of the, well, four of the girls ended up emigrating to the United States. And my mom was one of them. And so for no other reason, I feel a tremendous debt and gratitude to the church for all these I would call non-spiritual reasons. I mean, the the church is pretty fantastic. I think about really trying to give people another, another way to live. Um, I mean, to rescue someone out of poverty and abuse and it, it just meant everything to my family. And so I, that's my heritage. That's my pioneer heritage comes from Mexico. Um, and then my, my dad's side of the family, he, they're pioneers, you know, typical kind of Utah pioneers, except my dad's family. I don't know if you would call them Jack Mormons. Does anyone use that phrase anymore? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> not as much as, as, as much. when we were growing up. But... Yeah. yeah, not as much, but I mean, I don't know. If, I don't think my grandparents would have described themselves as Jack Mormons, but I mean, they went to the temple once they drank coffee their whole lives. My dad was sort of kind of active, didn't serve a mission. I mean, he was in the Vietnam War, and that was a different time anyway. And so in many ways, I felt like my parents came together wanting to kind of create this LDS home that they didn't have. And I think they personally, I think they did a pretty good job of it. But at the same time, because I I wasn't raised um, by parents who were super duper orthodox LDS, I, I never felt some of the things like when Susan was talking about like some of the stories we hear from women, how strict their families were. I was like, oh, that was not really my experience in my in my home growing up. So in some ways, I felt like that made kind of a faith transition a little bit easier because I hadn't been living like the most rigid Mormon-y lifestyle ever, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I really can connect with what you're saying about having immigrant parents. I have, my dad is an immigrant in a lot of senses. He's Polynesian. In a lot of, in the only sense. The only sense. He moved from another country. To, yeah, but his brother, like, his brother sponsored him to come to the to He the was US. an assisted immigrant. He had assistance. But, but he, um, I mean, he owes a lot of his, like, life success to the church. Mm-hmm. He's employed by the church. He, um, you know, he, his his family was too poor to send him on a mission. And it was a, a businessman in, in Texas that paid for his mission um, when he was living on this tiny island. And it mm. just, it, wow. it, I think it just meant so much to him, which is why he continues, you know, to give back as much as he does. 
in the church. So I, I hear what you're saying and I really appreciate the background. I think it's just fascinating because all of us have a different story. Absolutely. Right. Each one of us have grown up so differently and it's just fascinating to see and hear like, Oh, your experience was not, you know, at all like mine. Or I think sometimes, especially when you live in in Salt Lake, because we was like, everyone just figures that you're having the same experience all the time. church, Right. Right. Which isn't the case, which is why we're talking to you now. Mm. Um, Yeah. I mean, it may sound really stupid, but it was a huge revelation to me the day that I realized there are as many kinds of members of the church as there are members of the church. (laughs) I don't know why that had never occurred to me. Like I thought I was the odd man out. Guess what? We're all odd men out, which makes none of us odd men out. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took me, gosh, over 50 years to figure that out. So I'm a slow learner, I guess, slow learner. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think that also, as you go through, you know, different times of your life, you recognize it more than others, especially, especially in the position that both of you are in now, um, speaking to so many other people on this topic and hearing other people's stories. I think it definitely changes you. Yeah. I, I think Katie, like when you're talking about your family being immigrants, I think, okay, so we each kind of have these curated lifestyles right? We're these really unique backgrounds, how we grew up. But then on top of that, we're all wired differently. So really, it, like Susan was saying, there are as many members of the church personalities as there are members of the church. I mean, we really are so incredibly unique. And yeah, like and Susan, actually quite diverse, and actually quite, quite diverse. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Now, this is a marriage podcast. So we will ask this question. How did you both meet? we met moderating the facebook group that you talked about alan we did so i was the moderator first and uh we needed some new blood and so we started looking at members of the group and i said you know there's this really smart lady named cynthia and i love (laughs) everything she says so at the next uh in-person gathering i snagged myself a seat at the table next door so I could scope out the situation. I didn't and know I you were correct. spying on me. I know you didn't. And I was right, man. We wanted you immediately. And uh, so luckily she said yes. And uh, so that's so been a great friendship. Yeah. It kind of started our texting friendship, which is kind of where it started, where yep. moderating a group, we were always talking about different issues. And then we started saying things like, no one's talking about this out loud. Like someone should talk about this on a podcast. And that's kind of how this was. How the podcast started. Yeah. And how, mm-hmm. who came up with the, the name at last? She said it, Susan, that was me, Susan. It's a excellent it's name. It's, catchy. Yeah, it's good. Well, huh? I mean, there were many, many possibilities thrown out because what were some of the really, yeah, let's hear the recap. <laughs> I, don't, I can't I, even remember. I don't remember, I remember. but. But we just had days of going back and forth where I would just throw things out. And, and now that wasn't it. But when we hit on it, we sort of knew. What were some of our failed ones? A husband fallen. <laughs> <laughs> no, that can't be true. That can't be true. <laughs> no, in really fact, funny. my, my um, suggestion was the only suggestion. And that's what ended up Marriage happening. Yeah. Well, that's oh. a great name. At last he did it. That, we were going to go with that. But then you came along and. It was like stole it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, Alan and I know how like involved it is to start a podcast. So when you finally decided, hey, we're going to do this, like how, how did you figure it out? Or had you done podcasts before? We had not done podcasts before, although I had, I, at that point, I was part of um, Dan Weatherspoon's Latter-day Faith. Um, well, I wasn't on Latter-day, I wasn't part of Latter-day Faith podcast. I was part of the Faith Journey Foundation, which is the organization under which Latter-day Faith comes. And so I had uh, been able to sort of spy on the producing of a podcast. I had been on the periphery of that. And um learned a few things, had stuff like the login to his Libsyn so I could go in and see how it worked, stuff like that. <laughs> and so I did, we just started researching and uh, Cynthia started watching YouTube videos and so did I. And uh, I don't know, we just took the leap one day, COVID happened and we were both stuck at home saying, oh, I, I guess this is the universe is telling us to do this thing. Right. And so we did it. So what, what is the, the main purpose or the goals that you have with the podcast? Like what, what are you aiming for? And has that changed since you started? Um, I feel like in our nearly hundred, we're going to hit our hundred episode in our next, our hundredth episode in our next season, Susan. Yay. Yay. Um, But I feel like in, in these episodes that we've done, it seems like at first we were kind of defining the space we were in kind of like a, you are here, you know, if you're looking at the map at the mall, you are here. And then I feel like we kind of were defining maybe externally um, how to handle church, how to handle all the things that people see from the outside. And then, um, and this wasn't intentional. It's just kind of morphed this way. And then I feel like, especially uh, towards the end of our last season, we're on break right now, but towards the end of our season four, we started talking a lot about the internal changes about why do you need permission? Give yourself permission. You don't need to listen to all these external authorities and your relationship with God and who you imagine in your head when you pray to God is up to you. Imagine that, right? You can imagine a talking rock. You can imagine whoever you want. Like the church doesn't get to control that. So for me, that's kind of been interesting to, to kind of look back a little and see how things have morphed. We really just wanted an opportunity to um, amplify women's voices and experiences. We wanted to create a space where women could tell their stories, starting with us, because, you know, we didn't really feel like we had had that um, the right place to really express, oh, the full color of our church experience, we'll say. Um, And so we were looking for an opportunity to do that and to provide that space for other women. And then as we started to go, we got a better idea of kind of the shape of our listeners and um, that has driven the direction a little bit. We, we realized pretty early on that a lot of women were on the edge in some way, either in the church, maybe in their marriage or family situations, whatever. There were women on edges of a lot of things. And so that sort of helped us shape what the podcast has become. We talk a lot about finding yourself in that situation and doing the next right thing uh, once you are at least willing to acknowledge to yourself where you are, because that can be really hard. And it's, it can be hard for Latter-day Saint women. Mm-hmm. So we, we found that a lot of women were not, they hadn't yet really acknowledged 
what edge they were on. Once they do, we want to give them tools um, to sort of take control of that in their own lives and own their journey. So. And that leads right into the next question I have, you know, your episode 11 women, women on the edge of inside is probably the most referenced episode we, we get. Mm, in the really? Podcast. That yeah. really surprised us when you said that. It was nominated for a, an Emmy. Was it an Emmy? <laughs> a best, totally a best marriage on a tightrope emmy yes yeah, i think oh, Billie that's Eilish great movie, but... uh, so know? when when women come into this space and they said you know i'm having troubles i'm nuanced i don't know what to think i don't know what to believe i'm feeling um discord in my home it is always like at last she said it episode 11 is referenced Mm. over Mm. and over and over again in the believing wives um, group, as well as those who are, you know, kind of in this place where they, they find themselves um, caught between their spouse and the church. And so I, I just wanted to ask, why do you think it resonated with so many women and, Mm. and, you know, what, what do we get out of it? You know, what can we gain out of it? I think that episode is really great at defining um, where so many Mormons find themselves. Like, like I was saying earlier, you are here right on the map. This is, this is where, this is where you are. Um, But I feel like another episode that kind of leads into it. And this might actually be our highest, highest downloaded episode is episode 64, which is custom fit faith. And that's kind of the how, like, this is how you make your religion your own. This is how you custom fit it uh, to your body. Um, And in that episode, I feel like we also nodded to the fact that so often women and and our audience is mainly women, women don't choose this journey. Um, I think on the episode you referenced, um, I think I described it as someone put a bomb in your lap and mm-hmm. and ran away. And and I think that's one of my number one things that just oh drives me crazy when I hear at church is like people who go into a faith crisis, they were lazy learners, they weren't reading their scriptures, they were, I mean, you know, you've all heard the list as well. And I'm sitting there going that was not my experience. That was not Susan's experience. That was not I don't even know. I'm going to guess most people that's not their experience where they decide I want to start sinning and drinking alcohol, you know, all these terrible things that we're told, uh, you know, lead you down Satan's path or something. And so maybe that's why that episode is, is comforting to plenty of people is it kind of gives them um, it helps them realize like, this isn't your fault. And even if it was their fault, they still, I think, deserve compassion uh, for however they found themselves in a, in a faith transition. But I know for me, it really, really drives me crazy because I was like the Mormoniest mom. Like, what, what are my M's, Susan? Like minivan, middle-aged Mormon mom. And, and then all of a sudden this like bomb was put in my lap at age 40. And I was like, I don't even, I never would have gone looking never would have gone looking for this. So now what do I do? So maybe that's why it's big. Yeah. Yeah. I think another big, another reason it's big is because it's Geraldine Renshaw on that episode. And Mm -hmm. she is 
really so, so very good at this specific thing, um, understanding how to be on the edge and how to be a space maker uh, for other people to join her there. She's gifted at that. And so I think that that's part, that's been part of the draw that episode. Jerry expresses all of those ideas um, very eloquently and confidently. She's been in that space for a long time and she's a mentor for a lot of people, including both Cynthia and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also in that episode, all three of us sort of tell the story of how we ended up find found ourselves there and they're all quite different. They're quite different ways of getting to that place. And so I think that um, within that conversation, a lot of women probably could see themselves. Um, yeah. You know, I would think. And, and then the third thing I think about it is that it, even if you're not in that place or you didn't know that you were, I think there are a lot of resonant things in that conversation um, that might help people to identify the place that they are. Maybe they hadn't really ever thought about that before, but everyone is within the body of Christ somewhere. And so to sort of get a sense of the fact that, oh, we're not all the same, you know, we're all in this circle and we're not all sitting in the same place. We're in the same room. We're in the same physical room when we're at church, but we're actually having a huge diversity of experiences. And uh, there's something kind of magical, I think, in the conversation in that episode that gives people something to sort of grab onto and identify themselves and where they sit in the room and feel like that's okay, because there's space for everyone. Um, and, and I just think that that conversation in particular did a good job of giving people that. It's accessible to people. That's a great way of putting it, accessibility. Yeah, accessibility. And I think for a lot of women, it's like these little aha moments, like, oh, no, I do agree. Oh, this is, it's, it's, and it's hard to take ownership of maybe, I, I think, admitting that there's change happening within yourself. Yes, yes. It's so it's just so personal. It's so deeply um, affects so many, so many avenues of your life that that it's just hard to even go there. It's scary. It's scary because, because it's the now what, which is why um, Cynthia, I'm glad that you mentioned the follow-up, the fit. Wait, remind me the, the um, custom fit faith, custom Custom fit faith, faith. right. Where people can go to that, man, they had to wait how many episodes, 40, two episodes <laughs> we wanted to keep listening come on yeah. <laughs> we can't so, give all our best stuff at once I'm yeah. totally kidding. Um, i think our best episode's episode 69 which okay is, there you uh, go with my mom <laughs> they had mm. to wait 69 episodes for it yeah mm. you know it's um speaking of our you know our listeners having to wait uh we have dozens of listeners and they've <laughs> asked us a few questions we want to spend the bulk of the time well, you, oh, do you have something else well, before let, we get well, there? No, let me say to this, I, I said in our Facebook group, hey, we're having this, you know, at last she said it, Cynthia and Susan, please, you know, give me all your questions. And it was so funny because for like 15 comments, all they could say was, I love them. I'm like, okay, but these are not questions. I need the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love them too, but you know, and then, and then they came in. So, so maybe we do question one. I love you. Question two. We love them so much. Oh, how do you discuss your nuanced beliefs with uh, family friends and, and friends? Fr- yeah, friends. Speaking and of your mom, I mean, yeah, this, right. let's talk about friends and family. How do you even talk to them about it? And how do you communicate in a non-threatening way? 
Well, question three is a lot harder than one and two were. I know. I'm just saying. Know. <laughs> we'll we, get we, there. We're trying to warm you up a bit. Uh, you know that phrase, once bitten, twice shy? I feel like I only had to make that mistake a couple of times by like, blah, just telling everybody too much about my story before I found myself kind of on the defense. And so I don't really like to put myself in those positions where I'm, I'm defending why I believe or, or don't believe um, what they think I should be believing as a good Mormon woman. So I'm actually really particular. I, I don't feel the need to share everything with every family member. I have a few close friends and, and, and like I said, because I didn't grow up in a super like Orthodox home, I can discuss anything with all of my siblings, even my parents. So I feel really, um, I feel really lucky in that way that it, it hasn't affected me too much. But I mean, I had this one, um, I had this one story I'll tell you where I was sitting at a dinner table. Um, it was an in-law who shall rename nameless. We were, we were, my family and I were sitting at an in-laws dinner table and don't ask me why my in-laws started like bearing their testimony about polygamy or something. And I was like, I cannot have them bear testimony of polygamy in front of my teenage daughters (laughs) sitting at the, at the dinner table. And so I dared to speak up and say, well, you know, maybe Abraham even got it wrong. Not only did maybe Joseph get it wrong, but what if Abraham got it wrong? And this family member at the table was not about to let me get away with that. So he started his voice was raised and he was saying, boy, you are really out in left field now. I mean, my girls were afraid. Like, don't ask me why this was when my husband went to the restroom. He wasn't there. And so (laughs) ridiculous. And anyway, so I learned in that instance, I was like, oh, okay. It's probably not a good idea to lead with Abraham got it wrong. Like just, I mean, I, I really should have just said, you know, I would actually really love to discuss polygamy with you guys another time, but I don't want to do it in front of my girls. Right. So, right. Yeah. So to answer your question, um, I have plenty of people to discuss it with in my family and friends that I don't feel the need to discuss it with everyone. Okay. But what about, I mean, this is the, the best is, you know, just that well-intentioned parent, right. That kind of just pokes and pokes and pokes around. Cause I think that as Mormons, we're very good at being passive aggressive in mm. our speech. Not everyone. I don't want to generalize, but oh, you can, you can paint with that broad brush. I think but we can I, all agree. I, yeah, <laughs> I, think in, I think in general, there's in some general. passive aggressiveness. Have you had to deal with any of that? And do you just talk to parents head on or, I mean, what would your advice be there? I'm leaving it for Susan because we're not in the advice business. That's the first thing we brand ourselves as not the answer people. We have no answers for you. Um, It's always served me really well that Mormons are champion at avoiding talking about difficult things. And so um, that, that works well for me. Um, I don't, I, I don't go there very often with my family. I'm keenly aware of where the lines are. Um, in my family, personal life, church life with friends, um, those, those lines are very bright and I've always been aware of them and I walk them very carefully. 
that, you know, that doesn't do a lot for the authenticity portion of a person's life. And so that's been um, for a lot of my life, a concession that I have been willing to make. I'm less willing to make it now than I have been. And I've had a few places where I've gotten really good practice at this. For one thing, um, it just occurs to me in, in very many real ways. I've been in sort of a mixed faith marriage my whole life because my husband um, has, has always been, he's a nuanced thinker, but very comfortable in the church. Very comfortable, very at home there in almost every way. And I have not. And so I have always been the unpopular person, uh, the unpopular opinion <laughs> in his room, right? After every lesson, after every talk, whatever it is. I'm going to offer a counterpoint that he's not going to love. Um, and, and we've been married for 40 years now. So I've been navigating that. In fact, on our first date, he said to me, you know, you really have a rotten attitude about the church. <laughs> this is one of the first things that he ever said to me. It was almost our last date, actually. It didn't go well, but he should have known then, um, you know, jokes on him. I really do. And it's been that way for 40 years. <laughs> at least you're consistent. <laughs> I'm at least consistent. That's awesome, Susan. Things have, have changed for him now. Um, in a lot of ways. I mean, let's just say I've done a really good job of corrupting him, but it's been a 40-year job that I have worked <laughs> at very delicately. You're telling my husband it's going to take him another 40 years. Well, I'm out. <laughs> I'm just, okay, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not out and I'm not trying to do any, look, it, one well-placed Richard Rohr book can really start something. I'm just going to say that. And, and that's kind of the way that it went for us. And now I can't, I mean, he's, Cynthia knows he's, he's absolutely voracious in devouring this stuff. He reads everything. He listens to everything. He wants to talk about everything. Um, he, I, I think he loves Rob Bell more than you and I do. Now. He loves Rob Bell more than Rob Bell's wife. Loves yeah. Rob Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I mean, he said the other day, if you listen to the very first Rob Bell podcast yet, and I'm like, what was that like in 2015? No, yeah. I have not mined the back catalog to 2015 yet, but you know, he has. So, um, so things have changed. We talk about everything now, but, but for really 37 of our 40 years, I mean, for a long time, I was living in a minefield. And mm. so I got really, really good at that. Mm. I got really good at that. Um, and then the other thing that happened for me is I got called as a Relief Society teacher uh, at the exact same time that all of this crisis sort of started to unfold in my own life. And I decided to take the calling and I decided to take it just because I sort of wanted to see if I could do it. Like, can I take all of these conflicted and you know, I mean, I didn't even know what I believed in, if anything, at the point that I took that calling. And I thought, okay, can I go in and talk to these people? I'm going to play out this faith journey in real time mm. for these people I've been going to church with my whole life. Can I do it? I took it as an intellectual challenge and I kept the calling for eight years um, and had an amazing experience. I, I built a really marvelous kind of, I mean, I hate to say I built, but I mean, say it. I, I really did. In our word, we got this really serious, uh, vulnerable space going on in our relief society where you could come in and, you know, if your husband was in jail and your kids were alcoholics, you just lay it out there in the relief society lesson. Mm. Um, that's, that's the space that we ended up with. 
but I did it with painstaking care, Mm. like one well-placed word at a time, you know, month after month after month. So, and I, I I actually am really glad you said that because I think that so many of us do that, not just in church, in callings, but in our homes with our families, Absolutely, with our, with our, with siblings, with people that we love who may think differently than us, who Mm -hmm. do things differently than us. And I'm, I mean, I, I think that when we feel like there's going to be some type of um, receptiveness on the part of the other person, that's when we just can say things right. Like little by little. And um, I'm sure you'll give us the address to your ward after this. We can all attend your Relief <laughs> Society. I've been, I've been released now. Um, oh, but, dang uh, it. <laughs> COVID destroyed a lot of things, including <laughs> my run in Relief Society. You know, the thing is, for me, I'm not evangelizing. Uh, I'm not interested in that. Uh, things that are working for people, I am happy to just let. Mm-hmm you know, you're, I'm okay. And you're okay. And we can both be in our place. I am not in the interest of trying to win converts to, you know, any kind of journey I'm on. I really, truly do believe that all this is deeply personal and that it's meant to be that way. And that our growth is a hundred percent in our own laps. We have to accomplish that ourselves. So. Yeah. I know we say we don't give advice, Susan, but we did recently have an episode called was it talking across the fence? Yes. And again and we with actu- Gerilee, actually. Yeah, again with Gerilee, yeah. <laughs> where, where we actually threw out like some lines that you can keep in your back pocket when you're talking to these nuanced or you're nuanced and you're trying to talk to maybe or, or more orthodox family members. And I mean, my, I think my contribution to that episode was the one line that works for me that I use a lot now is, okay, I understand that wouldn't be right for you, but this is what works for me. So I'm giving them like I'm honoring their agency and simply asking that they honor right. my agency. Mm-hmm. And, and it just seems to open up, you know, at a little, add a little bit of fresh air to the room when you can say, okay, well then you, you live the gospel this way and I'm going to live it that way. And we can all sing Kumbaya together. How's that? And, and people usually are pretty receptive when you, you know, try to meet them halfway, at least with, you know, your language and your, in, in, in your intentions and, I mean, you know, other things like, you know, the way I have experienced this is meaning this isn't the way to experience, but this is my way. So I feel like in that episode, we tried to throw out a lot of one-liners that it's good to keep on hand because sometimes, I mean, this still happens to me. I find myself, you know, in those moments where I'm like, oh shoot, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And it's like, oh yeah, go to my go-to line. And, and that seems to do okay. Unless you're talking about polygamy, then it just never goes okay. There's, there's never going to be a good conversation. <laughs> in, your head in the bathroom. Never good. Exactly. You know, you, you know, who's really good at that. I don't know if you've ever listened to Jennifer Finlayson five, but I yes, always thought yes. she has such a gift with words. Yeah. She's very totally. Good. She can say things in a way that makes it safe for literally anybody listening. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I do believe that it's a gift when you can be able to speak with that type of authority so well to other people mm-hmm. especially when you're not getting the same treatment back right. it makes it especially difficult oh yeah when when people are not not responding in kind right which which definitely happens yeah, at yeah. church 
Uh, It definitely happens. One trick that I have relied on a lot is that um, I think that Mormon speak is a very specific kind of language. We have a lot of words that we use um, that, that we're comfortable with. Um, For instance, uh, in a church lesson, people will be much more interested in hearing the word heavenly father than they will be in hearing God. You get a different reaction with those words among Mormons. And so I find that I'm able to express relatively subversive ideas without anyone really realizing that I'm doing that if I'm willing to couch it in kind of comforting and familiar language. Mm. So I know my audience. I always go into it, you Mm. know, trying to know my audience and how, how can I say this in a way that, that we can remain in this conversation together. Um, And, and so I'm careful about language and I find I can get away with quite a lot that way. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> religious code shifting. You heard the, that term before? No. Code shifting. Uh-uh. We, we we interviewed a mixed race couple. Oh, uh, a Jason. few summers ago, yeah. and and he kind of explained this concept that I was new to called code shifting. Okay. Where he lives here in Murray, Utah. He's just down the street from us, and he's in a neighborhood full of white people, and so he speaks in a in a way just in a in a cadence and timber. Timber? Mm. Is that the right word for it? Yes. Uh, he speaks, he shifts his, his way of speaking sure. when, so that people feel comfortable. Sure. And Same exact thing. What you just explained is a religious mm-hmm. code shifting. Absolutely. You're shifting slightly to make people more comfortable. Now, yeah. there is a lot of baggage with, with code shifting in that context of a black man needing Race. to do that in his mm-hmm. own neighborhood. Right. right. How that's very frustrating. And yeah. it can be frustrating to do it religiously as well. Absolutely. But it's in the spirit of that building a bridge and, mm. and being yourself in front of people too. Yeah. I have really been amazed at how uh, receptive people actually are to being asked to think. Um, I feel like we're not asked to do that that often at church. And when I can figure out a way to flip that switch that turns people's brains on and I'm asking them to think about something um, in even just a slightly different way than they've ever considered it before. It's a turn on for people. It's a turn on Mm. for people. And I think they're not used to being spiritually turned on all the time at church. It's, but church is pretty boring. Let's, let's be honest. But so if I'm careful about the way I do it um, and I can go at it with that familiar language, uh, do a little of the code shifting and, and get their brains turned on, then I can get them to engage in conversations that they might not normally, uh, that, the normal defenses kind of go down mm-hmm. once I'm asking them to really think and they engage in that process. Uh, it's not easy to always make happen. And it's, and, it, and part of the problem with talking to other members in your family and stuff is that this stuff goes so deep. It's so tangled into our relationships and there's just so much fear and um, oh gosh, all kinds of things tangled. Families are messy, right? Families are inherently messy. And so the church is messy in families. And so if you're sitting at an in-laws table and they bring polygamy up, um, this is not going to be a situation where, you know, you're going to exercise any of the kind of tricks that I'm talking about that. There's just too much, well, too much family-ness going on. But... Sometimes you have to make it. There's a trade-off and sometimes you want to be direct. And absolutely, the goal isn't to to maintain a good relationship at all costs. Mm. If, if there's a hot button topic that comes up, I'm going to, I'm going to speak my mind and we can repair later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think you've hit on something really important there. I think what is your goal 
in the communication is really important. And once you've identified that, then you can figure out the most effective way to do it. And, and for me, especially like with family, um, preserve the relationship has always been kind of my number one goal. And I'm willing to make a lot of concessions to do it. And I, and I have done that. So that's just a personal choice. Totally. All family things are messy and personal. Right. They are. Okay. Okay. Well, here's a question. Okay. Uh, your if you could pick any any leader any church leader to sit down with who would be on your does it have to be living well let's say living. let's say living all right <laughs> if you had a chance to interview any church leader who would you want to interview and what would you discuss with them this Dang is like it, fully current. loaded i mean i would want to i mean i would love to meet you know, our favorite handsome elder Uchtdorf only because I just think he's so delightful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, but I, of course about mixed faith marriage, I think in thinking about that, I would want to pick someone else, but have you, have you thought about like who you would want to have on and what kind of questions you would ask them? I don't think I've thought about it specifically who but i mean yeah uchtdorf first of all he's not an american so i would like to think being european he would maybe have some more progressive and liberal ideas so i think he would be really fun to talk to of course it would have to be off the record right because the poor guy there's no way he could you know talk politics or anything with us that would be a no-no but um i mean if i could have any leader on uh, the podcast. If, I mean, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, I wouldn't ask them really big, like macro level. Like I wouldn't go, I wouldn't be really general about like women's equality. I would get really, really specific and ask like micro level questions because I would want them to say it to my face, why this isn't allowed. And I think one of them would be, um, what's the equivalent responsibility for 11 year old girls to 11 year old boys? We, we ordain little boys at the age of 11. And then we, we give them this big organizational responsibility. I want to know what's the equal to that for 11 year old girls. And of course the answer is it's a big goose egg. The answer is zero. We, we, we don't give them any responsibility. So I would want to kind of focus in and and ask things like that being the mother of a gay daughter I would also ask specifically, I want to know why uh, my 12-year-old daughter needed to hear in For Strength of Youth throughout her years that, and this is a direct quote, and I just looked it up today, it is still there, homosexual and lesbian behavior is a serious sin. Okay, define behavior, and why did my 12-year-old girl, my little baby girl, why did she need to be shamed? Oh. Like, I, I honestly would want someone, I want you to say it to my face, mm-hmm. own it. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to be something crappy, like, you know, well, we have to preach the doctrine. Really? Like, that's more important than keeping a child not suicidal. I mean, so yeah, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not very subtle. Sometimes I think I would just <laughs> ask them these really specific questions and say, you have to own up to this right now because real people are really hurt by a lot of these decisions so that's where I would go Cynthia I'm with you we just had our daughter's baptism and we asked if we could have um um, a a female conduct a female family member conduct 
And the answer was no. I don't know why. Not why? preside, just conduct. Not preside, just conduct. Just stand up and talk out the program. That doesn't make sense to me. So I can't I'm, even. I'm I'm there. I'm there with you on those micro questions. Susan, how about you? Boy, I can't. I don't know who. I don't really want to talk to any of them. If that's okay. <laughs> that's totally fine. <laughs> I mean, it could be a woman leader too. I mean, it doesn't oh. have to be all the men. Yeah. We can't pick Chaco Okazaki, can That's we? It. No, I can't Ooh. pick any of the people I want. We're They're all alive, people right? who are gone. She's yeah. not alive, but. Not alive, it's... but in my imagination, go... she's always going to be alive. Um, but I do know what I would want to have a conversation about. And the conversation that I would want to have is I really would just want to make whoever it was that I was talking to um, understand that there are some problems we have some problems in the church right now. And, um, you know, we have a lot of listeners who worry for us, you know, we get worried emails from women and messages all the time. Are you worried that you're going to get called in? You know, I'm so afraid that someone's going to try and shut you down and whatever. And Cynthia and I don't really worry about that, but I, I, but it, but it does make me think the worry has, has sort of crystallized for me, um, what I would want to do if I ever had to, or had the opportunity had the ear of someone uh, that I could make understand. And, and that would be, uh, I would really want them to understand that our podcast um, and your podcast and all of the podcasts like our podcasts are not the problem. Um, we're not the problem. The problem is what is sitting behind the hundreds, the literal hundreds yep. of messages that Cynthia and I wade through all day, every day from women who are in pain of some kind or another, you know, there, we hear the same versions of the same stories over and over and over and whatever is sitting behind all of those emails, that's the problem. And I need some leader to be invested in finding out what that is. I need someone to care that there's a problem. And I don't get the sense that anyone does care. I I mean, I hate to say that. I, I, I think that they would tell me I'm wrong immediately. They would say, oh, no, you're wrong. You know, we, we love you. We care deeply. We're investing our lives in this organization. We care about it. And I understand that. But um, women do not feel seen or listened to in this church. Mm. They don't. And they don't have anyone that they feel like they can talk about the stuff they need to talk about with. They can't. I mean, we get emails from people and Cynthia and I like, why are people telling us this? Well, you know, at the end of the email, they say, I'm sorry, I don't have anyone else in my life yep. that I can say this to, um, you know, so I'm going to say it to a stranger in an email and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to me that when uh, we are in an organization that is meant to be doing, you know, Jesus work, mm. um, we have so many women in all kinds of pain. So I would just want and to look someone in the eyes and see that they hear what I'm saying um, and that they're interested in finding out what's going on. Yeah. Okay. This is a little bit um, off. (laughs) This isn't part of the question, but I think it needs to be talked about. How can one do that when they're still an active participant of the church? If we want to create change from the inside, right? If we want people to hear us, if we want um, leaders to, or, you know, just give people something to think about. How do we do that? 
It's a great question. Um, <laughs> I mean, you start a podcast. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you absolutely do. Yeah. What's that? What's that quote that uh, that Stephen Buehner quote that we used recently on it? You can't. You can't use the tools of mm. a system. I, I can't remember how it goes. Anyway, you can't use it, the tools of a system to repair the system. To like, reform the system you're to trying reform to. This, yeah. yeah. To re- That's not it, but we I, I, yeah, generally do. Yeah. Anyway, what I, what I mean by it, what I mean with that is I don't think that we have the tools right now. I think those are, those have got to be invented. Um, and that's why someone like me or like Cynthia starts a podcast because we don't, we're trying to find a way. I don't know the way, but I don't think it exists in our normal discourse at church. I don't think it exists in our calling structure. I don't think it exists in um, most Mormons' uh, social lives and relationships with each other. Uh, I don't think we're honest with each other. I just don't think we're good at pastoral care. We're not good at pastoral care, but pastoral care requires honesty. It does. it? It requires actually seeing whole people and the people themselves being willing to show up whole and allow you to touch them in some way or, or, you know, really, um, see into their lives, reach into their lives. Um, we don't, we don't operate that way. We're pretty closed people. We're pretty silenced. We're pretty. Well, I think we're not comfortable with our own discomfort and we're definitely not comfortable with other people's discomfort. Right. And so because of that, we want to just bake the cookies and patch things up and, and with, all of the love in everyone's heart that does that. Cause I have nothing bad to say about people who do it because they're trying to be like Christ. They're just not realizing that that is not, not the way to do it. Right. It's, it's much more complicated. There's a lot more gray space to it than that, but it's these spaces that help us think and respond in a way that's more um, compassionate mm. Right. Well, who, who's our work? Who's our mascot? The, the bee, right? We, we got our little Deseret honey bee and that's what we do. Katie, we bake the cookies. We just work and work. And, and honestly, that is something I love about Mormons. We show up, right. And I'm one of those women. I show up, I show up, you know, the man who can't keep his mouth shut in my ward talking about gay people. I showed up at his wife's funeral because I love him anyway. And I will wash dishes for three hours in the kitchen because dang it, I'm trying to love him. He's driving me crazy, but this is the Jesus work that Susan and I talk about. And I'm like, I have to put myself in a position to learn to love people that drive me absolutely crazy. And, and so I get, I, that's our mascot for a reason. We show up and we know how to work hard, but we don't know how to be vulnerable. We don't know how to, we don't know how to extend pastoral care. And, and I, I recently watched a, a zoom, um, some type of zoom meeting with, if you know who Nadia Bowles Weber is the, the Lutheran pastor, and she was kind of conducting this meeting and she had other, I think, Lutheran pastors there and from different congregations. And she was saying to them, so, you know, like when you go through such and such pastoral training, like you require that of all your pastors. Right. And they were like, no, And she was just like, oh my gosh. She says, if there's one thing I would suggest to you is you have to train your clergy. They have to go through, I don't know what it was, a six week, a six month course. I mean, because of course, as a Mormon, I have no idea what she's talking about because we don't do that to our leaders. We just Mm -hmm. call them and they have to jump in and they have no idea what they're doing. So, I mean, in our defense, 
I feel sorry for people who have to extend pastoral care when the whole point of our church is to testify and keep people on the covenant path. Like they really, truly don't have the skills uh, to be ministers. They're great administers, but they're not ministers. And that makes me sad to admit. To watch what's happened with the ministering program, I think, because people knew what to do when they were visiting teachers and home teachers. That was very easy. You knew what to do. But take away the sort of structure of that, the, you know, spelled out expectations. And like even my dad, even my 87-year-old dad said, you know, I never missed a month of, of, of home teaching in 40 years. And now wow. that I'm a minister, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to do. Wow. And, uh, you know, I find that I'm not going and I, and I don't know what to do. And I thought, okay, this, this tells me everything about kind of our mindset and how we're trained to think uh, in our interactions with the other saints uh, in our congregations. And it's just, it's great. It's great that there have been people who have shown up in my life and brought me a meal or whatever when I needed to. I, there are many things that I love about being part of a Mormon community. It's just the best, but um, it hasn't always been the care that I needed. You know, it hasn't always been the care that I was really hungry for. I haven't had my, my soul has not been well cared for among my people um, in many ways that I deeply needed it to be. And I have similarly not offered my whole array of gifts because I, I haven't known how to do that either. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like our culture has lent itself very naturally to that. And I think that that needs to be remade. I, surely they know that the ministering uh, program is kind of an epic failure at this point. Surely they know that. And I don't know how they could fix it, but I think pastoral training, like Cynthia says, um, could be something that every member of the church could benefit from. We don't know how we to have, take care of each other. We have the money, Susan. We, we do can, have the we money. We can afford to send <laughs> people money. to pastoral training. Just yes. saying. Yes. I think it was Richard Osler we had an interview with, and he talked about how he was like this bishop and everyone would come to him and with all these questions and he would go to his therapist and say, now I, this person is having oh, issues. Yeah. What do I do? What do I do? And the therapist would say, here's some ideas. And then, you know, the, they would come, these, these youth would come back. These young adults would come back and say, you helped me so much. And he's like, what they didn't know is it was my therapist that was helping them all that time. <laughs> One of the things I love about Richard is that it, it was that role of being a bishop that changed his life, that put him on the path that he's in yes. because yes. he felt wholly inadequate to, you know, in the skill set and the sort of mindset and training that he'd had, he felt wholly inadequate to receive these people's stories. He didn't know what to do with it. And it ended up changing him and he's devoted his life now to, you know, being um, a person that, that they can give those things too. Hey, um, I love all this name dropping that's happening because I hope everyone listening is like, if you haven't heard of these people right. we're talking about, go, get it. go, go find, them. find them because they are amazing. Anyway, um, I, I want to get to the next question because I think we could probably spend hours on every single one of these, but um, <laughs> I, in our last episode, I, I briefly mentioned how I recently went to the temple for my cousin's wedding and um, it's been just been recently that my brother and I have kind of had this breakthrough moment where he recognizes that this experience for me is very hard. 
Mm. And um, it, it was after we walked out, he asked if he could walk me to the, my car. And, and he said, I just want to say, I just want to ask you, like, if this is, if it's really hard to sit through a ceiling and how, how it's changed for you now that your husband no longer is, is believing or participating. And he is the first family member who has ever asked me that oh, ever. How was that for you? And it, it was very healing. It was, I felt so seen at, mm-hmm. in that moment. It didn't even matter what my answer was. Yep. It, 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 it mattered that he took the time to notice that he's like, I wanted to put my arm around you, but then I thought, oh, that might be too weird. You might, mm. I didn't want you to be like, oh, what, what is he doing? But it, uh, that, that is when I felt like, okay, no matter what happens, no matter how I feel, at least someone knows how, mm. what happened that day. And, you know, this question, how do you find peace at the temple or at church when you don't feel like you fit the mold anymore? which I feel so deeply, how have you been able to reconcile some of those feelings or feel peace? I know that, you know, like my example, it's been through people who have recognized the hurt that I feel, but mm. how has it been for both of you? Well, for me, peace and church have never really coexisted very well. I mean, that's just, that's just been <laughs> sort of my experience. And so for me, what has made the difference is finally being able to say, Hey, this has never really worked for me very well to finally, finally be able to see this, to say that out loud. I have some peace and feel like I can, you know, sit down in the room, um, with the people that I can, that I have said that to finally, but I mean, it took a long time. Um, as for the temple, uh, same thing, you know, the temple and I are not friends. <laughs> temple and I are not good friends. <laughs> Temple's been really hard for me um, for a, a variety of very personal reasons. Um, not even really doctrinal problems, just like I can't. Anyway, I have some, I have some issues. I have some issues and sitting in a room where they're telling me the doors are closing and you cannot get out of this room for the next two hours. That is just never going to work for me ever. So I have some problems with being the physical experience of being at the temple. Um, and so, you know, I suffered through a lot of years of going to the temple uh, and never being able to say, wow, this is really the worst thing that I do in my life. This is mm. not a good experience for me at all. Um, and now that I can say that out loud and not go anymore, my husband can go without me. And that's a first. And the world didn't end. You know, the world did not end when I said, I can't do this anymore. And, and he started going without me. Um, that's like the greatest thing that ever happened in our marriage. And, and I feel peace about the temple for the first time, but I'm not going. Mm. So that's the peace for me. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's been sort of, um, being able to take things on my own terms, finally, that's made a difference. Cynthia, what about for you? Uh, well, it kind of goes along with what Su- Susan's kind of describing, like she set these boundaries with the church and the temple in her life. And so for me, that's given me peace at church, especially is good boundaries I give myself permission to participate in what feeds me and ignore or walk out of harmful lessons, sacrament talks. Um, yeah. If it's not feeding me, I'm like, why am I torturing 
myself with this, you know, I, I I'm raising teenagers. I, I, I need some respite. Right. And so to have to be tortured sometimes at home by teenagers and then be tortured at church. I mean, I'm joking, but not really. <laughs> Susan knows what I'm talking about. Um, like the adult session of state conference. Oh my gosh, Susan, what is your, th- what is it? Susan recently just told me, what is it about night church on a Saturday? It's not that Saturday church. My husband's always said in my church, we don't have meetings on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he just... means it. And I've always really admired him that he can say that. Wait, does he, does he apply that to general conference as well? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, for me, I remember going to a really painful um, adult session of state conference. It was kind of when I was in the whole midst of the faith transition and um, the stake leader said something that was so unbelievably unhelpful. It, it was something like, well, everybody here, you guys are like the people of Gideon, which I can't even remember what the people of Gideon did that was special in the, in the book of Mormon, except that they were like the Uber faithful. So he's like, <laughs> you guys don't really need the help. So we're just going to kind of talk about frou-frou stuff. I mean, he didn't say it that way, but I was in the depths of despair to quote Anne of Green Gables. And I was like, I came here looking for something and you're just going to treat us like, well, you guys have it all figured out because you're here on a Saturday night. And I was like, I'm done. I'm never coming back to an adult session of state conference on a, on a Saturday night again. So I stopped that nonsense. But I mean, as far as the temple goes, I participate in what feeds me. I like to do initiatories because it's all women in charge. Like where else in the church do you mm-hmm. get to be? where it's all women doing everything, performing the ordinances, anointing me with oil, laying their hands on my head. I do have a problem with some of the words, but I overlook that because it's like women, women are here and we are in charge. Um, so I love initiatories and ceilings are a hard no. Now mm-hmm. that they added that word preside, I will never do a ceiling again. I feel like we took a step forward, you know, in, in initiatories and endowment. Um, with some of the wording, they took out Harkin, and that was a source of pain with me for probably 15 years. And then lo and behold, they took it out. And I was like, oh, okay, we're getting better. And then they added preside into ceilings. And I'm like, I will never do a ceiling again until they remove that word. And I'm fine if they never remove it. That's that's fine with me. So boundaries, I, ju- I just think every adult has to set boundaries in their life. Otherwise... You'll just be miserable. Yeah. And that's really hard for people. Like I've been thinking, I've been sort of feeling drawn back to the temple. Um, I mean, I, I might go back to the temple at some point in my life, but it will be a choice. It'll feel like it'll be the first time I ever had a choice in it. Right. So really I had to be able to say no in order to say yes. And I never felt I, I could say no before. So I think boundaries can be huge in improving our church experience and our personal peace, um, you know, within the organization, but it's hard to, it's hard to set them when you, when you never have before. So I don't know if um, this goes right along with boundaries because last night, my, my 10 year old daughter asked if she could speak to me privately, which is, that's the indication that something's up. And so, right. The answer is yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Of course. And I walked in her room and and I said, what's going on? And she said, you know, I, I was at church now. I'm like, she's 10. So this is taking a lot of emotional intelligence on her part to even mm. verbalize these words. And she said, you know, I was at, I was in, in class 
And I kind of feel like a deer and my teachers are the hawks and they're looking at me for answers. And I said, well, well, tell me what happened. And she said, well, you know, they asked a question. She recently got baptized. Um, anyway, long story, but she recently got baptized and the teacher said, Zara, have you felt the spirit in your life? Um, especially coming from just getting baptized. Tell us when you felt the spirit. And she said, mom, in my mind, I, I wanted to say, no, I haven't, (laughs) but in, but then what came out of my mouth was, "Uh uh-huh. And, and then she asked me to tell her and I said, I forgot. And she said, and I felt like everyone was looking at me and, and I, and I said, well, how, how did that make you feel? And she said, it just made me feel weird. And I said, um, I said, okay, that's, that's, that's something to note. And she, then she said, um, and also mom, they kept talking about the wicked people who didn't believe in God. And it made me feel bad because dad doesn't believe in God. And, and I said, I, I, I was, I was like, okay, how do I approach this? Right. And, and I said, well, Zara, you're a hundred percent right. And I said, you know, not everyone knows about our situation. I mean, they shouldn't say that to begin with. Like, right. That's not something that we should, she, she, she should say. But I said, you know, like, what can we do? What can we say in these instances? What, what can I do to help you? And so we had a really open discussion about boundaries, about what she can say and what I as a parent can do and say to those teachers to educate them on the things that are potentially very hurtful for my child. And um, I think that it's, I don't even believe I would be in this place had I not have gone through it with my husband, with some of my kids, you know what I mean? It is such a learning process that happens, but I love when you talk about boundaries because it doesn't just pertain to us. It's like the people that, you know, are in our stewardship, whether it be people in our podcast groups, whether it be people who um, are in our home, whatever it might be. Um, It's just, I think that in so many ways, none of us really fit a mold (laughs) and, and all of us, while you know, maybe people are always feeling peace, but my daughter then ended with, I also just feel nothing when we go to sacrament. And I'm like, Mm. yeah, me too. (laughs) You know, and thank you for being able to communicate all of that with me. How amazing Mm. that she could say those things to you. Yeah. And that you were able to give her skills at age 10. Right. Like, can you imagine how different your own experience in the church would have been if someone had given you those skills and at, you know and at, and some part of me is like oh my gosh you 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 have got it <laughs> you're going to be such a force you know moving yeah, forward yes and at the same time there is a little piece of me that that wants to say like hold on i had such a great experience in the church and why aren't you having this experience yeah. too and, and I want to control the narrative and I want you to have this, like, you know, this great time in young women's, I want all of these things for you. You know, that's me projecting, but it's, isn't it hard like that, 
it's just that internal push and pull so hard with ourselves as well as those who are around us. Well, it's what's familiar for you, Katie. That's what, that's what made you who you are today. Probably some of those young women experiences. I can say that same thing about myself. And so I wanted my daughters to also have that same experience. Well, one of my daughters is gay. And then the other daughter was like, if the church doesn't want her, they don't want me. What am I supposed to say to that as a mother? Yeah. Like at that point, yeah, I've got to quit projecting and saying, well, I really learned a lot doing personal progress and you will too. Like I just, at that point, she yeah. became the parent and it's still okay kinda... to be sad about that though, or to have it is okay. feelings about it. That's okay. That's just part of being a parent. It's not the sure. last time that uh, you're going to have those feelings about something. No, with your kids. It won't. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm Susan. You've raised children. Yes. They're gone. And Cynthia, I'm almost done. in the thick of it with I got one left at home. You've got yeah. one left. Okay. So we've got a 15, 14, 10 and eight year old and our 15 and four year old, 14 year olds are, I mean, it's giving us a run for our money. Let me mm. tell you. I mean, I know both of you can understand. So I can, oh, we yes. can all commiserate about teenagers. <laughs> yes, we can. Uh, okay. So let's see um, this, this question, I think it, goes along with what we've already been talking about. It says, how do you stay true to yourself when you feel like you have to compromise so much to make things work with the church? I don't know if you have anything to add to what we've already talked about. Mm. Well, you know, I would say there's no thought police. There is no thought police, no matter how much you maybe have thought there was, guess what? Newsflash, no thought police. So I don't have to compromise anything, uh, in my thoughts at all. And, um, I never have. And not only that, a relationship with God is really, that is a hundred percent an inside job. That's between you and God. So when it comes to engagement at church, I don't have to compromise anything that I don't make a choice to compromise. And so, you know, as with everything else in life, I weigh it. Is it worth it to me? Is it not worth it? make the choice. But the important parts of a faith life, which, uh, you know, or what's going on in my own head and heart and, uh, and life, those all belong to me anyway. Church has no ownership of those and never did. So I, I don't feel, I don't feel like compromise is, I mean, I feel like I, I have choice in that and, and just having choice in it um, makes a huge difference. Yeah. I feel like I already compromise on every on so many other organizations that I deal with. I mean, like I said, my last one is about to graduate from high school. So I have compromised a lot dealing with the public school system, right? Right. For how many decades and, and, you know, the United States government, my gosh, like, you don't, I'm not leaving this country, even though I think we are so broken in so many ways. And anyway, I'm not leaving my broken country and I'm not leaving my broken church. And I probably wouldn't like stand up and say that in a fast and testimony meeting. Uh, that would be incredibly offensive to some people. But I mean, I do see our organization just like any other organization, man-made with a lot of broken parts. Uh, and so I'm okay. I'm okay making compromises in the church. I mean, I hopefully there are good boundaries, getting back to boundaries, right? I feel like I, I'm not compromising in ways that diminish myself that diminish who I am, that make me smaller. Uh, it just might be some of the other compromises. Like I said, like, yeah, I'm probably not going to do 
ceilings at the temple anymore. I'm not going to, you know, just certain things like that. So I, I don't feel like those are eating away at me. That would be a different story. I also feel like it changes over time. Um, different compromises might be acceptable at different times in your life for different reasons. You know, I like, there's a lot of privilege for me in being my age and having kids that are a distant memory, basically their childhood is becoming a more distant memory for me. I might've made different choices when they were children. I might've compromised on different things Uh, for Cynthia. I know that having a gay daughter, um, you know, after she came out, that changed some of the compromises that uh, you were willing to make Cynthia. Yeah. And so I think, I think it's that way for everyone. It's a very individual thing and it might change at different points in your life. Yeah, totally. I like this question. Cause I, I think down like deep down for me, it's about wanting validation of my choices. And now that probably has, mm-hmm. is probably something that I, that is what has been pounded into me my whole life, right? Mm. Is like the validation of, of the choices I'm making in order to feel good about it myself, you know, looking yeah. to the external authority. And so when I think of like that compromising, I'm like, well, okay, why, why would I want, you know, why can't I just make that decision to be compromise? Mm. Why can't I just make that decision to like be my own part, you know, like authority over myself. But I think like that, that's because we're conditioned to feel like we need the validation over what we're doing. I think it also gets tricky, um, for in the church. I think it's tricky for women because they want continued validation of the choices that they already have made. Right. It's sort of a sunk cost thing where, um, you know, well, if I don't, if I'm, if I don't do that now, uh, you know, then what about, the past, you know, 30 years of my life, has that all been a waste? Um, it's hard to, it's hard to change and grow in ways that maybe uh, sort of change the way we look at, at our own history. Um, and that we maybe have to own that differently and in uh, more honest ways, sometimes, sometimes ways that are hard to own. Um, it's, this is all very messy, but it's a moving path. That's what I keep reminding myself. I am not meant to be in the same place for the rest of my life in any area of my life. Why would I in my church life? Why would that be the one thing that stays static? Um, Nothing else does on the earth. So, you know, I got to be willing to change. And and that might mean uh, sometimes saying, oh, I might have done that differently now. If I were doing that differently. Not a very comforting thought, though, sometimes, Susan. It's not a comforting thought at all. All oh, and it's- sometimes Katie, I tease Susan, and I say, "Gee, you should write greeting cards." Right? Yeah, I should. You <laughs> probably you know, stayed it's- up night too right. much about this as you're trying to fall asleep. <laughs> I didn't say it was a feel-good message, but no. But it's the the reason I bring it up is because I think it's part of what keeps change from happening in the church. Oh yeah, women are invested in the choices they've already made, and they're yes. going to continue to. De- you know, defend those choices and seek validation for them. Um, well, man, once you're willing to give that up, there's a lot of growth to be had, but it's hard. Really hard. That's a huge mourning process. I think to be able to look back and yes. be like, dang, you know, we, we talked about that before on the podcast, right? Resentments versus regrets, right? You know, regrets, we all have regrets, but to resent 
that have such deep feelings about maybe choices we made. That's really, that's when you need to go to therapy, right? Yeah, that's like right. it's just so. That's when you need professionals. And at last she said it, so hard. We're not professionals. No. So go get better help than we are. Oh, you know <laughs> yeah. what? That's what Al and I say all the time. We're hello. We're just sharing here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but when you say um, it, it brings up to mind um, the resentment versus regret, I, I was feeling resentment to, uh, about something with one of my teenagers and um, then I heard, I have that new Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've read it yet or, but Susan has. Kind of, yeah. She kind of like categorizes feelings and, and right. what, what they department they belong to and resentment belongs to envy. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling resentment, it's because oh. there's something you're envious about that you either can't do, you wish you could do, or you want someone else to do. Mm. And um, and I thought, yeah, you know, I want my teenager to do his homework. So I don't want to sit here and do it with him. <laughs> I'm envious <laughs> of his free time. Exactly. My free time. <laughs> so um, anyway. Ooh, that's good, Katie. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I have to think about that. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's, it is something to think about. In fact, it's um, Brene Brown has a new Netflix series and she talks about internet in new Netflix. It's one of the okay. little um, blurbs on the Netflix series. So if you're interested in that, um, that's there too. Okay. Um, okay. So we've discussed a lot. So how do you come up with future podcasts? Do you, oh, I'm so sorry. This dog. Hold on two seconds. <laughs> it's nice to have a dog on their end and, uh, yeah, not leaf blowers on our end, which is what it usually <laughs> it's is. It's so true. Our whole podcast is leaf blowers. One blooper after another. Oh my goodness. Okay, timestamp. <laughs> yeah, timestamp it. Thirty-two. Let's see. Um, on here. Okay. All right. Um, so back to what I was saying. Uh, what topics do you have planned for future episodes? Do they come up organically? Are thing, do things happen in the Mormon world? And then you decide we definitely need to talk about this. All of the above. Mm-hmm. I feel like we, we try not to be a reactionary podcast. Uh, we had lots of people who, Oh, we can't wait for you guys to weigh in on conference. And we're like, that's kind of not really, yeah, how... we're not really into that. Yeah. We're not, we're not the current events podcast necessarily, but there was so much pain surrounding Elder Oaks uh, LGBTQ talk that, you know, he's given 82 times that we decided we would go ahead and, and address that in like a little bonus episode. But I would say, yeah, our, our topics come up quite organically. Uh, we, we'll get like a private message from someone and Susan and I will end up texting and talking about that. And we'll be like, oh my gosh, this is an episode right here. Um, I know for our upcoming season, we were talking about maybe revisiting some of our other episodes, like the temple. We've had two parts on the temple. We feel like we could have 82 parts series mm-hmm. on, on the navigating the temple. So yeah, things like that. Revisiting some we have of our, some, yeah, old... we have some, uh, where it seems to come up again and again, our blessings yeah. episode would be one of those. Um, yeah. that conversation was not over for our listeners or for us or so, for us, you know, there'll be, uh, there'll be another one of those. Um, and, and then also we've had a list kind of from the beginning that of things that we wanted to talk about on this podcast. And so we, that we're getting we, braver we draw from those. Yeah. We're getting braver. A lot of times we'll say, we're going to talk about that in episode 536. Yeah. <laughs> because by then it won't matter, by then what, it won't matter what we say. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
maybe we'll get brave enough then to talk about, do I dare say, I'll say it right now, Susan, like tithing. Everyone asks us to do a tithing episode. And part of me is just like, oh my gosh, it would be a one sentence podcast. Like you figure this out. You'll know we've given up by the time we do the tithing episode. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, I am not telling anybody what to do with their dinero, not going there. Nope. (laughs) I mean, I think that it's, I, I don't think that audiences, especially like, when they write in to like say, hey, you should really think about doing this or talk about this. This happens quite frequently to Alan and I. And there are just some topics where like, oh no, we're not even touching that with a 10th. Oh goal. yeah. God, it's you not know, just and, us. And knowing knowing your audience, right? Like that you have to speak to that audience. And so some of them are just completely like not appropriate for the audience. But also like I think that when <sighs> you have to be able to have, at least on our side, some type of experience with the subject matter in order to go after it. Yes. And, you know, some of the suggestions were like, okay, we don't know anything about that. It's just, mm. we can Yeah, we it. have that too. If we don't, if it's totally outside our experience, but we feel like there's an, you know, a good percentage of our listeners who actually would benefit from the conversation, then we'll go find an expert. Uh, we'll find someone who does have that experience to come on and, and talk about it. Um, but basically, we're experts in nothing except ourselves and our own experiences. That's that's pretty much what we bring to this podcast. And so any expertise that you're getting, you can be sure it's somebody that we uh, well, you get what you to have for, a conversation right? with us. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. That's awesome. Um, okay, so for anyone who is in this space and that are needing like resources, do you have any resources uh, besides, of course, your, we love your podcast. Uh, who, what would you suggest? Uh, we have a good section on our website at lastshesaidit.org. We have like a books we love, but the list is getting longer and longer, you know, the, the longer very long. that, that we're, that we're doing this. So I'll just rattle off a few of my super duper favorites. Um, like if we're talking about LDS people, of course, Chaco Okazaki, um, Susan and I keep saying, when are we going to get another Chaco? Please, dear Lord, send us another Chaco. I don't know. Um, Patrick Mason, his new book, Restoration. I've told, I've said it on the podcast that that broke simultaneously broke my heart and gave me hope because his view of the church, I'm like, that ain't never going to happen. And and yet I don't see any reason why it can't happen. So that's maybe the the hopeful part. Uh, Anything by Terrell and Fiona Givens, I find them to be quite nuanced thinkers again their new book all things new is it all things new is mm-hmm. that what it's called all things new all things new yeah same as patrick's latest book it gave me hope and yet i'm like i don't know what church you belong to but this kind of isn't how i see things going down and then anything no, but i want to be in their church well i do too susan <laughs> i do too so i'll keep reading their church. books mm-hmm. i'll keep reading their books yeah. and day- daydreaming about it and then for me anything adam miller I was just going to say Adam Miller. I only understand like 20% of what he says. Cause it's a good 20% though, but it's a good 20%. It's a good 20%. Yeah. Yeah. There, there were certain things I read by Adam Miller that honestly changed the course of my faith when I was, when I was in kind of that dark night of the soul, I was like, I mean, his question where he says, um, asking if the church is true is not a weight bearing question. A better question is, is Christ found here? I mean, it's something like that. 
And that just blew my mind because that's not what we're taught in the church our whole life. Is the church true? Is the church true? Well, that's not a weight bearing question. I have a messy life. So whether the answer is yes or no, I still got to get up tomorrow and take care of all the messiness. So I need a better question. I need something else to hang my hat on. And uh, so, yeah, I want to go to the church Adam Miller belongs to as well. <laughs> yeah. So those are, yeah. those are my favorites within the church. I'll, I'll let Susan say her favorite. And those would be really smart people churches Outs. though, if we're going oh, to man. that church. <laughs> those would be awesome <laughs> churches. Our intellectual game. Yeah. But I, I won't say all my favorites of outside the church. You can say those since it's Susan. They're all the same between. They're all the same. I don't know. We all love the same things, don't we? Barbara Brown Taylor gets a lot of airplay on our podcast. We have found her work to be enormously helpful, both of us. Um, Richard Rohr, of course, almost yeah, goes without well, saying. He ends. The and there's a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of Roar on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There there's Carolyn Pearson. We love her. Yes. We have, mm-hmm. we, we love Carolyn Pearson and, um, We've had her as a guest on the podcast. Um, so we feel lucky about that. Um, Brian McLaren, Pete Brian Hans, McLaren. all the people, it's just all the people in this space. And once you get into this space, then it's kind of one book leads to another. I'm sure that uh, you both know that. I'm sure you've read a lot of the same stuff. I feel like we're drawn to so many of these people, especially like Richard Rohr and Brian McLaren. They're contemplatives you know, so they're, they're interested in, in talking about non-dual thinking. And again, that is so not an LDS thing. We're taught right or wrong, black or white, you know, good and evil. And then along come these teachers and they're like, well, you know, not so fast. Like we, we all have it within us to do both things. And just anyway, that's, uh, that's non-dual thinking. And so that's where I'm trying to get right now is to be more contemplative and to be as, as, uh, Brian McLaren, his fourth stage of faith, he talks about his harmony harmony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh man, I'm so interested in harmony. I've been through the perplexity and the complexity and I'm like, I'm ready for harmony. So yeah, I mean, it kind of makes me sad again, that all the people that have changed my life have been, well, not all. Cause I said like Adam Miller and Patrick Mason, but for the most part, they're thinkers outside of our, of our faith. So but I think that's another example of needing different tools, different yes. tools of the system that you're, yes, you're yes, trying yes. to, to fix. Right. And so you just got some different tools. I think that's okay. I think that that's, um, you're right. It's not only okay, sad. but likely, I think it's likely that if you're yeah. really going to, um, change something, you're going to need something new. Well, and do it does with. give, it does give me peace actually when, when you, read like someone, um, Rachel held Evans. Like I've said this before, like I flip to the front of the book and I'm like, I swear an LDS woman wrote this book Absolutely, because Absolutely. It, it's like, guess what humans? We're all just dumb. We're all just doing the same dumb things in our religions. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not that special, Susan. Like no, that, that's, that's been the thing about reading. I'm reading the making of biblical womanhood right now. And like, there's not one single new thing that our church has ever done. Uh-uh. It's, it's all, this is all been going on from before the dawn of time. Yeah. My, going my, on forever. We are not really, original. I know my really negative thing. I've texted Susan, I think twice, man, this is true confessions here, folks. It's because we've been playing <laughs> long enough where our, our walls are down is I've texted Susan a couple times, something like, you know, we say we're not of the world in this church. And yet we have really latched on to certain things that were worldly, like patriarchy. I'm like, 
how did this happen? Like we went whole hog for that. We we went whole hog on the patriarchy thing. And yet we're, we say we're not of the world. It's like the whole world is a patriarchy. Come on, come on. When you are wearing suits and ties, you cannot tell me that you're not of the world. <laughs> come on, look at the uniform. Come on. <laughs> I love these late night musings. I hope you post these texts on your Instagram account. There you go. (laughs) They would not, that would not be good. The end of our career, Cynthia. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This podcast might be the end of our career. So anyway, thank you so much for having us on. (laughs) It's nice to finish our career with you. We'll we'll all go down together. Don't worry. It's okay. Gone. We're gone. That's it. Um, I, 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 well, I want to first direct people to, like they said, the at last she said it.org website. Mm-hmm. A lot of these books were listed here. Also, all your episodes are posted there, yep. but you can find it on the podcast app. Um, okay. I, I'll, we've I also got this, events. Events I, okay, are a thing. Yes, for us. So, yeah. That's what yeah. we want to go to is we want to go to the events. My friend, Sandy, I'm going to say your name because you don't care went to the event, um, the retreat in Arizona and had nothing but incredible things to say. Felt Hmm. like it. She said that like, it was the relief society she never had. It was just, it was so filling for her. And one, one huge compliment she um, paid about both of you is she said, you know, they're the most intellectual women. And sometimes with intellectuals in general you can find some some type of air about them um, but they are just the nicest most down-to-earth people in real life and they're just as good as gold in person as they are on the podcast oh that's so, so sweet that's, that's so kind real credit to both to both of you um that wow. that level of humility to get down to people's level I mean that's why you're so popular that's why you everyone loves you so tell us about any events coming up What's in store for your podcast? Well, I, I'm not going to commit us to anything right now here, <laughs> Cynthia, Hard. but, <laughs> but our first live event was a tremendous success. Uh, the amazing thing about that experience was all these women showed up who'd never met each other and were instantly best friends. It was just like being at a reunion of old friends. Um, everybody just chatting with everyone like they'd known each other forever. And I really spent a lot of time thinking about that and there is something about just Cynthia and um, I being willing to share our stories created a space where everybody else feels like they know each other. It's like they were starving for this. Oh, this is a safe space where I can tell my stories and be myself. Um, And that's just because Cynthia and I have been willing to do that. And that tells me that's something that we're really, really hungry for them. Many mm. women in the church are so hungry for it. And man, they just stepped right into it. And we could not have been more thrilled with how that event went. And it had nothing to do with anything that we did. It was just seeing it play out in real life. Like the thing we dream about happened in real life. And um, that was really beautiful. So we do hope that there will be more live events. The thing is, we had two amazing women here who put that uh, party together for us. We did not do that. And so we got to find someone else who will put it together in the future. Cause um, man, we are not doing that work. <laughs> I am not the ultimate party planner. Party planners. I, I was activities chairperson once when I was a newlywed and I was like, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> No, putting no. on events. No. We, we, so, so if we, if we can get the help we need, uh, we'll do that. But besides that, we do have our monthly online discussion groups and those are great. 
and they're free and uh, we would we do them every other month evening and afternoon um, we have women from Europe who join us in the afternoons and that's fun and um, it's just it's a great virtual recreation of the Relief Society room that your friend describes it's it's really wonderful mm-hmm. so we would encourage people to subscribe to our newsletter um, if you haven't you can do that on our website and that will get you a link to join the discussion group meeting so yeah and you covered it all susan i mean do you wear your own t-shirts to these i am yes you're wearing it now now. (laughs) cynthia is right yeah um i love it and i love that it's not like super obvious like if someone was to wear a shirt that said marriage on a tightrope people would be like what's going on they'd be like your marriage on a tightrope yeah (laughs) no doesn't work at last she said it uh yeah women should always have the last word so Uh i love it and without actually get comments on that shirt from i'm just kidding (laughs) what was that alan i get comments from non-members on that shirt so it's just too good yeah i do Oh, really yeah women like that logo oh i I love it i think it's fantastic um okay anything else that you want to leave our listeners with before we say goodbye hmm Take it away, I feel like, Cynthia. I feel like I don't have a ton of experience being in a mixed faith marriage. Uh, I feel really lucky that kind of like Susan was talking about with her husband. Um, I feel like my husband has kind of gone along on this ride with me as well. But that doesn't mean I didn't have to learn sensitive ways to talk about things with him. We're, we're on the same page about most things. And there are a couple of things where it's like, come on, dude, just come over to my side on this. So I don't know. I I have a lot of empathy. Uh, I can't imagine what that's like to maybe have your most intimate relationship be one where maybe you feel like you can't always let your hair down. So I, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to say that, that I have tremendous empathy for that because I don't know, uh, what that's like. I mean, I've told Susan before, my husband follows me around like a puppy dog. I mean, he's like my greatest fan in every single thing. And even if he didn't agree with me, if I told him I'm going to start robbing banks, he'd be like, have fun. Like, that's just kind of who he is. And so I can't imagine what it would be like otherwise. And so I feel like we all have something right there. We all have something in our, in our lives that just, man, it just weighs us down and it, and it's so hard to work through. So yeah, I just wanted to say that, that my heart goes out to those couples. We're fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. Susan? I can't imagine anything that I could say that I have not already said. So thank you for having us on the podcast. Yes, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And Katie, uh, I think it's appropriate given the topic and who is joining us that you close us out yeah no i i really appreciate you both coming on this is like my celebrity checklist you're on my celebrity checklist and Mm. um i just really appreciate you i think that even if you've never been in a mixed faith marriage or even if you've experienced some sort of um you know some just different ideas or whatever it might be um i still think there's so many valuable things that you said in this episode because right now there's so much you can't control when you're in your mis- when you're in mixed faith marriage. I can't control what Alan does. The only person I can control is myself. And if I'm feeling discord, if I'm feeling like I can't be myself at church or at home or whatever it might be, 
um, that bleeds over into every other aspect. And so I think that this really, this time together um, is like sacred time because people can listen to it and, and think about how do I, how do I take what I've listened to and, you know, apply it to myself? Like, what do I do moving forward? How does this help me? And, and that's what it's about. It's, it's about helping yourself in this space first and mm-hmm. and then letting that um carry you through the really difficult ups and downs of your relationship mm-hmm. and and so i just i thank you both for being here and i hope i get to come to one of your events <laughs> we hope yeah. so too we hope <laughs> would, so too to be there in fact we'll come and get you we're going to okay, get you right out of bed if you're not there so <laughs> I come be careful don't be a hypocrite no you absolutely can we had a man at our last event we had one man and he was delightful and so uh yes please absolutely come you're calling my bluff now I have to go you now you have to go we're coming for both of you (laughs) you need a tech guy that's right I'll I'll do the dirty work it's right yeah awesome thank you Cynthia thank you thanks 